Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Afterlife Awareness Conference. The Afterlife Conference will be virtual again this year in 2021, and we hope you'll join us online June 24th through the 27th. As we have done for the last 11 years, we unite the disciplines in exploring the survival of consciousness after death, offering wisdom from hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, shamans, scholars, and counselors who share a deep understanding of death and beyond. This year, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Thurman, a worldwide authority on Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, as our keynote speaker. He'll be teaching us how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist and is also offering a workshop on Buddhist cosmology. We are also proud to feature returning scholar Dr. Ken Doka, senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America, who will talk about the mystical experiences of the dying, and Dr. Jeff Black, a psychiatrist who is also a shamanic practitioner who works with ritual practices for death and bereavement. In addition, we have general sessions addressing everything from music, Phantology and death doula work to ancestral healing practices and grief support. And there are continuing education credits available for licensed professionals. Visit our website at afterlifeconference.com for all the details. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. This is going to be a really interesting podcast, and I know that so many of you are going to love the topic. My guest today is going to talk about a little bit of reincarnation and past lives. It's an amazing story. So if you're a listener or you're watching this uh, interview on path11tv.com, then I think you're going to have some questions maybe answered about reincarnation and past lives, or you're going to left with a lot be left with a lot more questions. So my guest today is Stefan Alex, and he is the author of the book, When I Was Someone Else. So for those of you watching, I'm going to show you what the book looks like here. And Stefan is a journalist, a former war correspondent, and founder of the Institute for Research on Extraordinary Experiences. He's the author of The Test, Incredible Proof of the Afterlife, and the writer and director of the French television series, Extraordinary Investigations. He lives in France. And he is also the author of this book that I got a chance to read when I was someone else. It's an incredible true story of a past life connection. So, Stefan, welcome. Hello. I'm very pleased to be with you. Yeah, same here. My gosh, you have so many books behind you. Is that your personal library? Uh, Yes, this is my daily problem. obsession maybe or a collection it's beautiful yeah, i'm a journalist and i i passed 50 so i have a, a long life of writing reading and writing so this is not the the total amount of my book unfortunately i have many others somewhere else 
I love it. I love it. It makes me feel so much better because my house is filled with books as well. <laughs> so um, I always get excited when I see books, bookshelves like that. So yeah, so tell me a, a little bit about your background and history. I mean, my gosh, I mean, you've done so much with being a journalist, a former war correspondent and everything like that. So I'd love for you to just give your background and kind of how you've moved through life up until you had this really interesting experience in Peru, which then led you down this rabbit hole of connecting with the potential past life of yours and uh, really understanding what reincarnation is. So basically, I I always wanted to be a journalist and more precisely war correspondent. Um, I understand why today, but it takes me a long time before to understand like that. Um, I started to, I, I was not good at school, so I left school very early and I uh, fly to, to Pakistan in 1988. It was at the time where the Russian was um, occupying Afghanistan. It was the Mujahideen time, more than 30 years ago. And um, uh, I was 19 at the time. And for me, it was a good opportunity to to prove myself I could be a journalist on the field uh, without going to school, without learning this uh, this wonderful job. Uh, so I decided to fly there without even telling my parents. And uh, I entered secretly joining a Mujahideen group uh, inside Afghanistan. And I spent months there. And basically, I start learning my, my job on the field. So when I came back in France after, uh, after this um, amazing trip, um, with the Mujahideen, uh, I, I, I start to do this job and to, 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 to practice journalism uh, on a very, very free way. I was totally um, free. I was not uh, uh, working for a specific uh, redaction or for a TV. I was free. So I was choosing which country I want to visit, which conflict I want to visit, and, and what subject I want to investigate. So... I worked like that for um, something like 14 years. I travel and I work mostly in, in Asia, Central Asia. I became specialized on uh, politics and geopolitics in, in, in Afghanistan, in Central Asia. Uh, my first book was published 25 years ago. It was a book about drug trafficking. Uh, basically, I, I started a trip from a poppy field in Afghanistan and I came back to Europe walking on the highway of Herring Road. And um, and basically, this was my life. I was a very, very normal journalist, a very rational one, very Carthesian journalist. I was working on political issue. And in 2001, uh, six months before 9-11, I was in Afghanistan. It was still the Taliban at the power. And I was working there on a big project. And my brother and some other people from France joined, joined me. And one morning during a car accident, I lost four persons of my team. And one of them was my brother, my younger brother, Thomas. So this was a shock, obviously. And um, this is this um, change, of course, a lot of things in, in me. Because, uh, you know, maybe sometimes when you are young, when you are a teenager, you may have a lot of philosophical question, what I'm doing here? Uh, is there a meaning of life? Is there a purpose for us to be here on this planet? I mean, all those questions are uh, very, very soon kept aside because we have to work. We have to become a adult and, and to work. So I, I left those questions aside. But when my brother died, I was 32. 
And uh, while I was holding his body and bringing back, bringing back his body to, to France, all those questions suddenly came back. I mean, what's the point of life if we can die that quickly? And um, I didn't have any philosophical tool. I didn't want it to find a religious answer because uh, as, as I can observe, there is a different religion on, on earth and all are great way for uh, finding a spiritual path, but it's a, it's a subjective uh, call. I mean, you, you, it's not science and I wanted science. So I was wondering if science could be possible to investigate what is life and, and if there is something after life. And to my surprise, when I start to investigate this with the same uh, tool I had as a journalist uh, working on war or terrorism, I find that uh, the obvious answer we are all living with, like uh, there is nothing after death because uh, brain is creating consciousness. And so when brain is dead, there is no more consciousness. This was not a fact. It was not proven. It was a belief, a belief, a materialistic belief from our society. And I was very surprised to discover that. And months after months, I realized that it was possible to work as a journalist on those so-called paranormal subjects like uh, afterlife, UFO. I mean, all those subjects that are not considered, considered to be serious, but they are worse to, 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 to be investigated. So I stopped doing it and I'm doing it for more than 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. So I know that you also had the loss of your father as well. Um, do you want to talk about that before we kind of go into um, kind of what happened to you on this journey with, um, you know, connecting with your past life? Because there was some healing that happened, you know, as you went on to investigate your past life and how things with your father and your brother had healed. Mm. Yes. When, when my father died, um, it was seven years ago. Um, um, I, I was with him in the last day and I was trying to comfort him. I was trying to help him to, to go through this moment. And um, I realized that uh, I didn't have any strongest evidence to, to show him that maybe he was going somewhere. Maybe it was not the end of everything. So it was a kind of um, regret I have. Then he passed away. And three days after his death, I suddenly had an intuition. I, I think in my mind, okay, I, I should do an experiment with him. I will hide some object in his casket without telling anyone. And maybe months after uh, the funeral, I will test a few medium, some medium I knew and some medium I already have tested before. I knew it was possible to receive very accurate information from disease person. But before that, I was not able to control all the aspect of those experiments. So I, I, I thought maybe today with my father, I can control everything. Even my wife didn't know I did that. So I was, I was sure that except my father, no one except me knew uh, what I put in, in the casket. So after one year, after, uh, one year after the funeral, I, I, I went to see six different medium, um, telling them I just wanted to do an interview to, to know more about their job. And, and, and I was wondering also if I could do just a lecture, uh, just open lecture to see what was going on. And uh, 
I mean, I was not totally surprised because I knew it was possible, but uh, I was still very amazed and shocked because it worked and because my father came and and give object to several of the mediums. So it was a mind-blowing experiment for me, and I published it, and it's published in, in English by the text, the, the, the title of The Test. Wow. So I know everyone's wondering, what was the object? <laughs> oh, there was um, a book, a pencil. Uh, um, uh, oh, I don't know what to tell it in English. Um, a tube of paint. Uh, I don't know if it's correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, a boussole. Um, I'm sorry, I, I lost this word in English. I mean, you know, th- these little things you use to find the north. A compass. Yes, compass. Okay. Yep. Yep. Wow. So you put actually quite a few things in there. It wasn't just one thing. It's a couple of different four, things. Four. Four things. Wow. Four object, yes. All right. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, you bring up such a a great point that I think probably so many of our listeners um, have experienced too, because we cover a lot on the afterlife. And that's what Mike and I, you know, have been doing since 2008, investigating consciousness. And really, like you said, it, trying to answer these big questions, like, why are we here? What's our purpose? Is there really a purpose to life? Does it go on? And, you know, when you share your story about your brother, there really is kind of like this pivotal moment when you're experiencing death so close that time seems to stand still and all of a sudden the vision and these questions as you're looking out at life really begin to expand and open up and so many people I think when they've had a loss like that so close to them tend to wake up in a sense and find this spiritual journey yeah but what really amazed me still today is that uh, we are spiritual beings um uh, I'm very convinced of, of that fact because it's a fact. I mean, anyone who would uh, start doing the same investigation I did in a couple of months would realize that we are spiritual beings, that near-death experience are not explained by some brain machinery, that a mediumship is not explained by some, I don't know what. I mean, all those... Uh, Topics like after death communication, near death experience, uh, out of body experience, uh, past life memory, and so on and so on. These, those are all evidence that we are not just um, meat and bone. We are uh, spiritual beings, uh, and a part of us live beyond space and time. This is not a belief. This is science. And really, as a journalist, I. I when to try to find the fact, to find the evidence, to find the research, to find the real scientists to work on that. And I find so many, and especially in the U.S., where a lot of uh, research have been done in the past uh, 100 years more. Um, so it's, um, it became very quickly um, unexplainable that uh, our society is still considering those topics are not, uh, as not serious topic. It's a kind of irrational behavior. We are living in an irrational world where um, we pretend to be rational, we pretend to be scientists, but when it comes to unexplained phenomena, we are not any more rational or scientists. We are just a scary little beings afraid of losing uh, a very fragile materialistic worldview. 
Yes, well put. I couldn't couldn't have said it better. Um, so let's get into a little bit more of your own personal story here, which I find really fascinating um, that you were drawn in this lifetime to become a war correspondent. Now, that, in a sense, has this very large connection to your past life. And one thing I'd like to say to our listeners, um, number one, your writing is just impeccable and beautiful. It is, uh, you really draw the reader in and you feel like you're watching a movie. It's one of these, you know, novels that really hooks you in. And the other thing that I love is with your investigative research, you know, and your journalism, you are just frantic, like going through, you want the proof, you know? And, and so as you were taking me on this journey, it was like, okay, what is he going to find next? And what about this paper and this person, you know, and you were even, I don't want to give too much away, but I just love the investigative part of you that really wanted to collect evidence and as much proof as you can. And then when you found more, you went deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, as I was reading your book, I sat back for a little bit and I said, my gosh, I don't know what I would do if I actually found the proof of who I was in a past life. Because there was this part in your book where you were kind of like blown away at one point, like you were confused, you didn't know what to do, you were like overwhelmed. And I really sat with that before I moved on to the next chapter to think like, yeah, like if you, if I stumbled upon all of this proof and I knew that there was possibly a body buried in a grave somewhere that was me, and I'm able, but here I am in this body. I mean, it's it's still really hard to conceptualize and it's a bit mind blowing. So why don't you take our audience back to your spiritual retreat in Peru, where this story began, where you had this waking vision of a soldier uh, dying on a snowy battlefield and then how this began to turn into really an investigation to find out who you were in a past life. Mm-hmm. Thank you for for your description of my work because it's it's really I'm I'm very I'm, I'm very um, attached to the idea of of not going into not jumping into a belief system quickly. I I always always have question new question. Even when I start discovering something, I still have ten more question and 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 it goes like that all the time. So. It's a little difficult to live on a daily basis as my wife, but uh, I mean it's it's also um, a standard I, I'm I'm trying to 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 apply in my life. So so basically what happened? It was a couple of years ago. I had a very active life uh, because I'm I'm directing a TV show and, and I do many things in France. So I wanted to to do a little break, not to take holiday, but to, you know, to, to, to have a, to take a step aside because I think, um, since I believe we are spiritual beings and there is a purpose of our life today, sometimes I think that we need time to time in our life to, to take a step aside to observe who we are, where we are in our life. Uh, is there a necessity to change something? Maybe, uh, if I would die in two hours, would it be okay for me? Did I did everything? So for me, shamanism is a very nice uh, uh, tool and, and, and place in Peru to, to do this, uh, this retreat and this kind of life review because it, 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 the, the, the shamanic diet in the jungle helps me to calm down my mind, to calm down my thought, 
Uh, I don't have any more phone call. I don't have any more email. I can really be in my in my little uh, house for uh, weeks, just thinking about meeting myself, my deep self. You know the 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 soul inside of us who can so hardly speak in our daily life because the mind is always talking. So I was there for um, more a little bit more than one week and. Um, Basically, my day was uh, was uh, doing some physical exercise, doing meditation, walking by the forest, and, and basically doing nothing except uh, relaxing. So in the middle of this day, it was, um, yeah, 10 days I was there in, in Peru at this moment, I, I decided to, after my physical exercise, to to lay down on, on my bed and to do a little shamanic journey, not with any substance. I, I, I use ayahuasca when I go to Peru, but not this time. Uh, this time I was totally uh, without any substance inside me. I just put my hair set on my, on my ear and start to play a track of drumming, boom, 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 which helps doing shamanic journey. I mean, it's helped brainwave to dissociate for you, for your... Uh, consciousness to, to start traveling, traveling inside you, traveling on your unconscious, traveling in the spiritual world, everything is possible. So I was lying on my bed, I closed my eyes, I played a drumming, and uh, I let my, my mind start imagining things. So I imagined myself, if I was a bird, and I fly over the forest I was in, uh, so I saw the little house, uh, I saw the river, I saw the forest, and I was, yeah, like a bird flying, but it was my imagination. I was not dreaming, I was not uh, unconscious, I was very conscious, just my eyes were closed. And um, after a couple of minutes, um, my imagination showed me something I did not consciously imagine. I don't know if I'm very clear, but suddenly little black dot appear on the, on the ground. So I was wondering what it was. I thought it was maybe men walking by the river. So I, I fly down. And uh, when I arrive at the ground level, suddenly it was not the forest anymore. It was a kind of a landscape, very white landscape. And the man who was walking was soldiers. Instantly, uh, I knew it was German soldiers. Uh, and very instant, instant um, immediately, sorry, uh, one of those men was in front of me. Uh, he was very close, uh, one meter in front of me. He was looking at me, really staring at me. And uh, I knew his name was Alexander, and I knew he was uh, Obersturmführer, which is a military rank in the SS, the equivalent of Lieutenant. And um, he was looking at me, and it was totally unexpected. I mean, sometimes you you just close your eyes and you let your imagination go, and but basically you are not that surprised because you are kind of expecting what's coming up. And I was not. I mean, it was totally unexpected. I was in the jungle of the Amazonian forest and suddenly I was uh, sent in a war zone in, in Germany. I mean, not in Germany, but in, in a very cold and, and snowy landscape. And um, this man in front of me, this Alexander, suddenly, as he was staring at me, he received a shrapnel on the neck and suddenly he was, he was eat and the blood started to flow out. He fall down and he died. And uh, I, was in, I was in shock again. And um, this scene 
repeat itself. I mean, suddenly he was standing again in front of me, staring at me again, and again being hit by the shrapnel and, and dying. And the scene lasts for, uh, yeah, I don't remember the time, but it, 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 it repeats itself four or five times. And um, I was just wondering, wow, but I have so much detail. It's so precise. It's so clear vision. Uh, may I have his name? I mean, I was wondering in my, in my mind, may I have his name? So to Alexander, I really uh, suddenly saw an identity card adding Hermann. So I, I thought, okay, his name is Alexander Hermann and he's Obersturmführer in the SS. But I was still observing the scene. Uh, I decided to let my, my mind go and I was still observing and suddenly there was no more, not anymore the scene of war. It was in a civilian place and Alexander was wearing a civilian clothes. There was another man uh, very close for him. Uh, like there was a, a strong feeling in between them. And there was also a little girl. I saw a little girl, maybe two or three years old, with uh, uh, blonde hair like that. And basically, this different vision lasts for 30 minutes, which was the time of the, the sound track uh, on, my, uh, on my phone. And when the sound of the drum stopped, um, the vision faded away, and uh, I stood up. I was, um, I was very amazed by the intensity, the emotion of this vision. But I, I didn't thought one second it could be something else than my own imagination. Because uh, um, I consider myself as a rational journalist. So in between two options, it's, I will choose all the time the, the, the more rational one. So I am alone in the forest. I am on the shamanic retreat. There is some uh, war material that is coming up from my unconscious Okay, it seems to be normal. I was war correspondent. I am upset with the question of violence in the world. I mean, this is a kind of, uh, you know, like when you're um, uh, on psychoanalyst, he's asking you what's coming in your mind. And uh, when you are talking what's coming in your mind, then you may have a lot of image and, and thing you share with him and, it, and, and he interpret those, those, uh, those images. So I thought it was a kind of uh, material like that that could be interpreted. Um, And uh, when I came back in France a couple of weeks after, since I'm still curious, I, I just wanted to know if there was one Alexander Hermann who had the, the title of uh, Obersturmführer. So I Googled the name and very quickly I find what looked like a list of uh, German officers during uh, World War II. And there was one Obersturmführer Alexander Hermann. But really honestly for me at that moment, it was a coincidence. I mean, It could not be something else than a coincidence. So it was so much, um, yeah, so much that for me that I leave it aside for more than one year. And uh, I decided for some reason to, to start to get my, my inquiry one year after this experience, because um, during that year, time to time, maybe three or four times, this vision came back. Um, Once it happened when I was uh, receiving a healing from a healer in Paris, uh, she was working on my chest and, and suddenly she had the image of violence, war and destruction. And at the same time, she told me after that, at the same time, I had the image of this Alexander Amman again. So it came back time to time, but I didn't know what to do with it. It was like a, a message from my unconscious. 
But one year after I start again my investigation, I start again Googling uh, Alexander Amann Obersteinfuhrer. I went a little bit further and it drove me to find the name of a French historian that I call. Uh, fortunately, this man uh, had seen my TV show, so he knew I was a serious journalist and he didn't hang up the phone when I told him, oh, I come back from Peru and I had a dream, a daydream of uh, German soldiers. And he took it very seriously and he advised me to check on the archive. Is there probably a military file for this guy? Because um, the, the German and especially the Nazi were very, very um, uh, strict on, on writing everything. So there was file for everything. Um, and uh, I did a very quick investigation. I asked the archive and I find out that there was a, a military file of 78 page uh, of this guy, Alexander Amman. I received the file a couple of days after that. I don't speak German, so I, I forward it immediately to the historian. But on that day, uh, I was opening every, every sheet of the file and I was trying to translate what I was reading. But um, I didn't, I, I was not very successful because it was all German. And, and, and really Google Translate with German is very, very difficult. But very late that night, the, the French historian wrote an email to me and uh, he had translated partly uh, the, the, the file and he, he sent me an email just giving me the basic detail of the life of this real Alexander Amann Obersteinfuhrer, where he was born, what he did, in, in what war he participated in it. And the historian mentioned also a death certificate, which is in the file. And the death certificate said that this man died uh, in Russia uh, when the Soviets uh, were invited by the, the German. Uh, he died in October 41. But the surprise and the shock came when I read that this real Alexander Amman Oberschönfuhrer died from a, a shrapnel on the neck. It's written black or on white on the file I had. So suddenly, I mean, everything changed in my life because suddenly it was impossible to still believe it was a coincidence. I mean, a name, a surname, everything could be, I mean, like this could have been a coincidence, but suddenly that the vision I had so clear, so precise, so intense, so shocking that this vision, what was, uh, what was, what, really happened to the real Alexander Ehrman 70 something years before that. I mean, this was mind blowing and, and it was really a key, a key point in, in my investigation. Yeah. And I remember um, the other part of your vision too, was that he had the number 25 tattooed oh, on yeah. his arm and you weren't quite sure what that was, but when you went through the paperwork, you saw that he had died at 25 years old. Yeah. I, I I saw a tattoo here uh, under the arm, and uh, uh, I had the knowledge very, very deep inside of me that the SS soldier were having a tattoo, but I didn't know what it was. And uh, when I asked the, the historian afterwards, he told me that they had the, the blood uh, type tattoo under arm. It was not, but I saw uh, 25. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, like a uh, chance he, he died at the age of 25. Yeah. And I think that's one of the fascinating things, you know, because people can um, do visionary work with shamans or have like really intense meditations. But I think the difference between 
you know, something that is imagined as opposed to an experience when you're in a meditative state is that you come back with all of this really precise detail, you know, which which was your experience as well. So a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you, because, you know, many people might joke around or casually say, oh, I was probably a soldier in a past life. You know, I love war. I love this or I love that. Or, you know, in a past life, I know I was a dancer because I just love to dance. So after you investigated this and you found all of this information, um, looking back at it now, I mean, we know that we see the connection with you being a war correspondent, but did you have any feelings overall about Germany? Were you ever like, oh, that's a place I never want to visit? Or were you always like interested in going? What are some things that knowing that, you know, well, maybe we should explain how this was you before I go into these questions. Can you tell the audience how you were able to make the connection that this was actually you and not just a vision that you were having? Oh, it's a long, long story. I mean, it's it's the entire book. I know. <laughs> because uh, as I told you, I don't want to, I don't want to jump very quickly to, to an, um, a theory. Uh, I, I rather work leaving open every possibility and every hypothesis so it takes me very long time to start beginning being uh, convinced of one hypothesis uh, and not another one. Um, the, the first, the first thought, thought I have, I had, uh, was that maybe since I was in a shamanic uh, retreat, uh, the process could have opened a kind of psychic capacity in, inside me. Not not psychic, like a real psychic, but uh, uh, you are more sensitive when you are doing this kind of retreat. You may feel things that you don't feel usually. So I thought maybe I was kind of uh, half psychic and I felt um, a ghost of this German walking by me. Or, But I mean... When I start thinking about that, I was in deep forest in Amazonia, uh, uh, nearly 10,000 miles away from Russia where he died. So I was wondering what, why this ghost would, would wander by the forest. Um, so it made no sense. And, um, and, and, and I, was I, I had this feeling that I had a kind of link with this man. Uh, it was an obvious link. Um, reincarnation, some other link, I, I don't know, but it, it was an obvious link. So I start to um, I start to think uh, at my life um, and I start to, to realize that so many uh, and so frequent moments in my life where um, I was not very myself. Um, let me try to be clear on that. Um, you know, sometimes you you take decision, you don't know why. Sometimes you had um, a strong emotion when you are in a specific place, you don't know why. Sometimes you you may have a, a, a general feeling inside of you uh, which doesn't seem to be you, uh, that seems to be coming from out of the blue. You don't know why you are like that. Um, and I had many, many, many moments like that in my life. I mean, uh, as, as we said at the beginning of our discussion, I wanted to be war correspondent very early. Why? I mean, um, I, I received the same education as my brother and none of the, 
My brother wanted to, 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 to be in a war country. I, I didn't want it to do war. I didn't want it to be a soldier. I wanted to observe uh, soldiers. I wanted to observe what it is to be on the front line because I wanted to understand violence. I wanted to understand from deep um, the meaning of violence, the meaning of evil. I, I was fascinated, not that I admire, but I was fascinated by the evil. How can human being behave in a so evil way? Um, so I had this question in me uh, when I was 17, 18, 19, and it was heavy. It was important. I mean, it, it drove me to become war correspondent. Where it come from? Where it come from? And uh, this, what I'm describing to you now, and, and many other little detail. Um, drive me slowly to to think that maybe um, in some way I, I I was holding a memory that was not me, a memory um, with a lot of shame, with a lot of violence, with a lot of guilt uh, that was not me. Because I am a nice person, uh, I never fight. I don't know how to fight. I was never aggressive with my friend at school or with my brother. Um, I'm not racist. I'm absolutely the opposite. I am curious of uh, all the diversity of this planet. I started this job as a journalist also because I wanted to discover the diversity of this planet. So I am the total opposite of what the S's were. But um, I had some uh, psychological... Uh, um, not problem, but um, uh, the opposite of balance. What, how, do you, how do you say it in, in English? The opposite of balance. What would be, um, disturbance. <laughs> imbalance, a disturbance, yeah. Yeah, imbalance. I had this psychological disturbance sometimes. Mm. Uh, sometimes I, 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 I fly away from France going to a battlefield, to a war zone, because I wanted to die. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I was happy. I had a happy uh, family and nice parents and a uh, uh, nice uh, wife. I mean, everything was okay in my life, but I wanted to die some, sometimes. I mean, there was so many things in my life that was not correct that I start realizing that maybe it was coming from a past life or, I mean, uh, outside of me. And when I meet Alexander, suddenly, you know, it's like, it's like if the light starts shining. Oh, okay, okay. This, 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 this. I mean, if this guy was in some way my past life, it could explain so many things in my today life. Right. So uh, I work on this uh, path and, uh, and I start investigating in that direction. And uh, the evidence became stronger and stronger as, as months were passing. Yeah, one of the pieces of evidence that I thought was really interesting was the handwriting. His handwriting looked very similar to yours, you had said in your book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a little detail. I mean, for, for me, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have strong evidence and you have little, little evidence. And for me, handwriting is a little evidence. But uh, when you have 20 little evidence, it, it, it starts to become uh, a big evidence. And yeah. uh, yes, uh, it, it it came to my mind because in the military file there was there is one letter written with his handwriting, and um, and I didn't notice 
immediately, but uh, after some time, I just realized that, oh, yeah, I think we, we really ride the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I, that may be little to you, but I think I, I would think that was kind of like a big piece because I think our handwriting, I don't know. I mean, there's so much done with handwriting analysis and I kind of do feel that like the personality of a person and the soul comes out in the handwriting as well. Like you can really tell a lot by people and the way that they write. If you really look into it, I, I did some investigation into handwriting analysis before just found it really interesting. That's so right. um, yeah, so that, that got me really excited in the book. I was like, Oh my gosh, no way. It's so cool. Um, so, so maybe you can talk. So let me, so let me go back to that question. So, so as you said, you were beginning to put these pieces together. You were feeling in your life that there was just something kind of off. You stumble upon this and it really does feel like that this could have been you in a past life. Um, what were some of those other coincidences or synchronicities once you found all of this evidence that you're like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like we know the war correspondence thing, but was there anything else like connected to Germany or anything else that you found in this that makes sense in this lifetime, why you would be drawn to that or those things? Oh, yeah, there, there is, there is plenty. I mean, plenty from the, the little detail of my, um, my habit when I was childhood, I, uh, until uh, until the great and the very important choice of my life, as as you said, becoming war correspondent. Um, w one episode really was really important for me because it, it helps me to realize something that was, uh, yeah, that was a key moment of my my journey in this affair. Uh, this the real Alexander Erman were um, uh, so he, he was a soldier in the Waffen-SS, which is the military unit of the SS. Uh, so basically he spent all his time in the SS fighting uh, in Germany, uh, no, in, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, in France, and in Russia. Um, but he also uh, was stationed time to time in a concentration camp, not as a guard, but as a military station there. And uh, there is one, the, the oldest concentration camp uh, by the name of Dachau, uh, situated north of Munich in Germany, is one where he have said, stayed maybe for um, three or four months. So I wanted to visit the camp. And um, while I was doing a great tour in Germany, I drove south of Germany to visit the camp. And I was feeling... I mean, in all this, these months of investigation, I was feeling very, very bad, very bad, because I had a lot of guilt. I had a lot of fear inside me. Um, I was every day thinking, but I mean, all comes, uh, I could be um, the actual life of this guy. I mean, all comes. Uh, I didn't have the vision of a nice princess or a, or a monk or a spiritual leader in the past. I had the vision of a German SS soldiers. I mean, which is the worst guy you may find in, in the entire history. So, I mean, it was so difficult for me to, to, to work on that possible link and, and possible link of a past life with him. So I was doing my investigation with a very heavy bag. I don't know if it's the same expression in English, but a heavy bag of guilt and, and sorrow and, and sadness. And uh, my wife uh, was very worried because she, she saw me that I was kind of swallowed by melancholia and, and, and shadow and death. 
but I knew that maybe the light would be at the end of this uh, journey. So I keep on, on doing it. So I visited Dachau and uh, I parked my car. I start walking toward the entrance of the camp itself. Um, while I was advancing, there was a lot of tourists there because it's a place you can visit. Uh, it's a memory place, memorial place. And um, I was approaching, and as I was approaching, I was feeling more and more bad inside of me. I was feeling so guilt. I mean, so I was holding this guilt like if it was me that did all these uh, horrible things. And um, I walk, I walk, I walk, I walk. And then I passed the, the, you know, the, the metallic gate of all those camps are the same. Uh, I passed the gate and I entered the huge, huge um, ground of the concentration cape itself of Dachau. Dachau. It was a huge place. And here, suddenly, I, I was overwhelmed by, by sadness and I started crying and I started insulting Alexander. And suddenly, as I was walking, uh, my leg was so weak that I was fearing that I would collapse because I was so weak and I was crying and I was shouting and I was insulting this, this guy. And suddenly the part of Alexander inside me uh, went out of me. Hmm. And suddenly I understand, okay, I am not him. I mean, I, I maybe have the charge of uh, healing the legacy he leave in me. Maybe this is the meaning of the past life. Maybe a past life is not you again. Um, it's a Tibetan Lama who told me that many years ago. He told me, you know, reincarnation is not a re-you. It's not re-you again. So I am not Alexander again. I am another man. I am Stefan. Alexander was this guy who died 23 years before I born. And it's not me. I have, for some reason, uh, him inside of me, I have to, to heal what he did. I, I, I have to hold his heritage. Um, it's, it's maybe my past life, but he is not me. And, uh, and this key realization, I, I understood it when I was walking on the field. And suddenly I, I, I had the feeling that the healing process was starting at this very moment. Okay, I can be the new life of Alexander Herman, but I am not Alexander Herman. And uh, we may be, you and, and people who are listening to us now, we may be made of many, many different memories, but we are who we are today. We are not those memories, um, bad or good. We are who we are today. We are what we are doing with what we have, with what we are holding inside of us. Um, and this was really a, a very, very moving moment because uh, it helps me to 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 get a little bit um, uh, to, to be a bit more relaxed in my in my investigation because it lasts months and months after this. Yeah, and I don't I mean, know if I'm very clear. I'm sorry for the oh English no, it's clear. I, I'm no. a French speaker, so yeah, no, it's very clear. And I think what your story illustrates is that it's. Actually, I think a really good thing that we can't remember our past life so easily. You know, I remember asking that when we were interviewing some people with the documentaries that we made. And uh, I was like, well, why can't we remember this? You know, everybody wants to remember who they were in a past life. But with some people that I have spoken to, like yourself, 
there is a lot of emotion that comes with that, especially if you're not one of these wise sage gurus or, you know, somebody like famous and fun, but it's like, you know, you find out that you were a murderer, you were, you know, um, maybe an alcoholic in a past life or something like that. And to stumble upon that and to really be able to process it as you're living in this lifetime is a pretty big burden. You know, it's, it's a lot to go through. So I think in some ways, after speaking to people like yourself, I realize that it's great that there's a mechanism as we re-enter uh, that we can't remember them all because we really wouldn't be able to fully live, um, you know, in oh, yeah. this, in this lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. We would be totally overwhelmed by the, the bad aspect of those memories, because of course, as you said, uh, for one very, uh, nice spiritual person you have thousand people who, who go with uh, um, fear and and who probably sometimes did not very bad things look at ourselves i mean are you proud of who you are i mean are you proud of proud of everything you did in your life maybe there is a little shadow in your in your life even me in my life today I'm, i think i am a good person but uh, i may have some regret maybe sometimes i could have behaved differently with uh, one person on another. So we are holding regret. We are holding a little fear, a little sadness sometimes. And this so-called unfinished business is we are carrying it to our life and we probably will carry it also in our future life. So yeah, it's better in the future not to remember everything because uh, it could be too heavy. But you know, I, I observed something very interesting in my case, but also in the in the reincarnation case that have been investigated by Jan Stevenson and uh, uh, his, his follower Jim Tucker today, who is a psychiatrist and works on, on children who have memory from previous life. It appears that uh, uh, the vast majority of children who have memory of previous life are memory of violent death. It's like if uh, the violent circumstances of death are maybe tr traumatic or, or very emotionally charged that it can uh, pass from life to, to one, one life to another. Uh, you, you don't remember the, the, the nice life because it's, it, it doesn't leave any impact. It doesn't leave any trauma on your uh, energy body or whatever, but violence leave a trace and violence can be remembered. So, Maybe if some people are listening to us and they have uh, some violent nightmare or some ID or some things that I had before, I had nightmare of war, for instance. I, I remember a nightmare where I was uh, killing a woman. I mean, <laughs> I, am, I am French. I never did such a thing, but I had this dream. And uh, when I read what Alexander did in Germany, in um, Poland in September 39, I realized that uh, in in, in September 39, he participated in mass killing in Poland where 8,800 persons were killed. Um, and I, I am totally convinced today that this nightmare I had years before was a direct memory from what he did in Poland. So all these um, yeah, nightmare, thought, or emotion that we may have, it, it may be the the little string you can start working with to, um, to, to get rid of those parts inside you that, that needs to be healed. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's very clear what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you said, there in your case too, there was some guilt and some shame that really wasn't yours that made sense to have to carry in this lifetime because of the way that you're living today. So, and then for that healing to begin to happen when you went to the concentration camp and you, it sounds like you viscerally, viscerally felt that separation begin to happen within yes. you. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I have one last question before we go, and it's more of a wives tale that I've heard. And the fact that you were able to see the way that Alexander died. Um, I've heard sometimes that our birthmarks or if we've had surgery in this lifetime can sometimes be connected to an old wound uh, or the way that we died. Do you have any issues with your neck at all? Or did you ever have a scar or a birthmark in that area where he was killed with the shrapnel? No, no, no birthmark, nothing, except that I cannot wear a tie. I, I, I cannot have a, um, something that, that blocks me the neck, uh, a shirt or a look. Yeah, <laughs> you have to be neck on. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to ask that because I just, you know, I don't know. It's just something that I've heard and I think it's more of a theory. But, you know, the fact that you've had such a vivid thing, I figured I'd ask if you had any, any parts on your body that would represent like a strange scar or a wound or like, how did that get there? So, no, no. no. Okay. All well, right. Yeah, it's, it's reality. I mean, what you're saying, it's, it's really one of the, the things that was investigated by uh, Jan Stevenson from the Division of Perceptual Studies in the, uh, from the Medical um, University of Virginia. I mean, they did amazing work on that, on the birthmark. Oh, really? Okay, I'll have to look into that. I, know, I wasn't, wasn't aware of that. But uh, Stefan, thank you so much. This is such a great conversation that we had. And I, I know you opened up my eyes and I'm sure all of our listeners. Again, the book is When I Was Someone Else. And where can people purchase this? Where can they find you and find your information? Oh, they, they may find it in every bookshop, uh, hopefully, and, and on Amazon.com, of course. And uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very looking forward to, to to know what people think of this uh, journey because it was so mind-blowing for me. I hope it uh, it will be for the reader. Yes, I, I think so. I, I know for sure it will be. And your writing is beautiful. So thank you so much. And thank, thank you, you for being much. a guest on the podcast. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this story. And we didn't give too much away. I mean, you have to get this book and you have to read all of the evidence that he has. He has pictures in here. There's a photo journal. I mean, it's pretty magnificent. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's podcast. And I'd like to give you a couple of coupon codes before you go. I would first love for you to go to path11tv.com and I'd like you to sign up for your free seven day trial. If you like what we have on there, which I know you will, I would like you to go ahead on checkout and put in the code podcast 30. That's going to give you 30% off of the annual subscription. And uh, the afterlife awareness conference is also giving path 11 podcast listeners $40 off the general admission ticket for the virtual conference this year. You can go to afterlifeconference.com. You can purchase your general admission ticket through Eventbrite and put the code. There's a place in the top left corner. You go ahead and click that coupon code and put in PATH40. Again, that's PATH40, and that's going to give you $40 off of the general admission ticket. So with the Afterlife Awareness Conference, they are also giving you six months of free replays. So if you cannot make the conference on June 24th through the 27th, 
that's not a problem. We will give you six months to rewatch that conference at your leisure. So again, two coupon codes, path11tv.com. Get 30% off by using podcast 30 and afterlifeawarenessconference.com. Go ahead and use path 40 to get $40 off your general admission ticket. Thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you.